It's August 26th and a good Thursday morning to you. Welcome to Real Talk. This episode is presented by our title sponsors, the team at Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin is, well, it's on the move. I was just checking in with Adam O'Brien yesterday. He's the founding CEO of planet Earth's first ever publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company. We're going to get together in person as soon as we can. Don't worry, we'll keep lots of distance between us. But I said to him, I've got so many questions. There's so many new developments going on and there's these new and he goes, yeah, yeah, he loves it. He's passionate about this stuff. He said, remind real talkers in tomorrow's mention that we've got a whole team of people ready to answer questions about Bitcoin. I said, you know, I will. And he said, and remind them where they can find us. And I said, you mean right at the top of the sponsors page at RyanJesperson.com? Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So today's our Friday. Team's taking some wellness days. We're going to be gone tomorrow. We're going to be gone next week. And then we're back pedal to the metal all the way through till the federal election. And and you might be saying, what are you, are you guys? Uh, I'm going to drop this top button. I'm looking at I'm seeing the reflection. I'm realizing it's a little tight. If this is if Thursday's the new Friday on Real Talk, we got to pop that button. That's not loose. As long as there's not gold chains and chest hair popping out. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, Samuel Brooks rolling in today. Looking sharp as always. A beautiful shirt and blazer combo. And people are going to say, what? Just because the, just because this Thursday. Thursday's a Friday for you guys. You're going to start the show five minutes late. What about three minutes late? What about what about all the people showing up live? But we had we had I, I wanted this is a stick tap for you for a little hockey reference. This is a stick tap for Brooksy uh, because we had a bit of a technical issue just a couple of moments before the show and you deftly navigated it earning well, yourself and, a and, shout out and, and the biggest issue is is this the lovely camera four was not yeah. online and i had to you know I, I was i was pulling wires out of the wall trying to get this thing going it was we fascinating are, we are to watch to go so here. people that people that listen to the podcast aren't sure about camera four but we'll just let, so camera four is our big wide studio shot we love it it's it's how we're able to kind of show off the team and show the dynamic and and later today during trash talk it's i'm going to be able to just be launching papers everywhere putting the team at risk quite frankly of paper, paper cuts. cuts we've never really addressed that um with, liability. with regards to things like workers comp and things like that. yeah oh and s should you never inspect the studio paper, although we do have all the plexiglass that's true yeah. So really, you could argue that we've taken those measures. But I, I didn't want to say anything to you while you were navigating these issues, because when a, when a non-tech person like myself is around a tech person like yourself, my questions would not have been helpful to you. You know, I mean, I think I would have found myself what I was thinking when Sam's going, oh, boy, because we're having some video glitches mm. and, and there's a little bit of stalling and a little bit of lag. And we're going, well, this could be problematic. Right before the start of a live show, a show that once that bird is off the ground, no looking back, there's no looking back. Hey, you want to know what real talk is? Is the, the real talk is that the minute that I invoke an, an airline metaphor, my heart sinks because it makes me think of the Kabul airport right now. And absolute that's just real talk while we joke around and find seriousness at the same time. Absolute disaster at the Kabul airport right now. We're going to be talking about that in just a second. But Sam, I'm sitting there watching you work and troubleshoot and I'm thinking, did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in? Did did, did we do the you basic know ninety percent of the time that works, right? <laughs> like it's like, and, and I mean, I will I will lift the veil a little bit and tell real talkers a very big part of my job is turning it off and turning it on again. <laughs> yeah, well, but when you're not here, 
uh, that'll be a real problem for anybody else. Have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? In just a second, we're going to talk to Jessica Davis. You know what I like about this? Can I just say, and sometimes usually you don't spell it out. Broadcasters don't spell it out. That's not what you do. You just try to do it. You try to have people actually not notice the fact that you're transitioning back and forth from serious to silly, from silly to serious. But I know that this audience is is here with us for this. And I saw some interesting um, commentary online right now. People going, how can how can people be posting things about happiness and, oh, you know, your summer vacation or you're posting this, that and the other. Well, all hell is breaking loose in Afghanistan. And I was reading that I kind of walked with that yesterday. That sentiment, and I thought, it's kind of real life, isn't it? When, when we take a look at things that break our hearts or infuriate us, just wait. I mean, trash talk later today is people are pissed. And I hope that it's a cathartic exercise. Whether it's learning about children that are being recovered uh, from unmarked graves outside residential schools or whether it's the IPCC climate report or whether these other things that we talk about on the show that absolutely break people's heart, that push people to a point of just being absolutely maddened. What do we do as we, I always feel like I'm a pastor when I say when we gather in community, but that's seriously what people do. We, we download the podcast every day or we show up for the live show. How do we find ways to, to navigate our way through while still maintaining some sense of, right? Some, some ability to, to process everything and to find perspective and, I hope even in some circumstances to find gratitude, to find an appreciation for maybe our own personal circumstance, appreciation for what people around the world are doing in advocacy. We're seeing notes. I mean, Canada's final evacuation flight has departed. Kabul, that's it. There's no more. But people around the world are saying some of the, the men and women in service over there, Canadian soldiers, American soldiers and others have been remarkable on a personal level. In dealing with people, I mean, the sewage canal that it seems like the entire world knows about right now, Canadian soldiers reaching in and lifting out people out of the sewage canal to try to get them on these flights that are departing. And then today, what's believed just moments ago, I mean, you know, you may be hearing this show later in the day, but as we talk live now at at around 840 Mountain, 1040 Eastern, about a half an hour ago, it's believed maybe 40 minutes ago, what's believed to be a suicide bomber targeting that exact sewage canal casualties unknown right now i mean this is real life around the world and of course it influences our perspectives on so many things we talked yesterday about the federal election campaign whether or not that'll factor in we talked to Harmon candola from the world sick organization what they're doing advocates from around the world trying to get Sikhs and hindus out of the area because they know based on history the implications of being a religious minority under a taliban government in just a second, Jessica Davis will join us. Uh, she's, she's worked with FinTrack and CSIS. I mean, she's a terrorism expert, in particular, a financial intelligence analyst. And I'm looking forward to her analysis of, of how the Taliban got to the point it did and, and who or what might be behind this take back, if you will, I know that has the world appalled right now. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to talk about co- good behavior in politics. What? Yeah, so it's going to be a very short segment. 
With, so there <laughs> we've got a few mayors joining us. Uh, all of them here from from our neck of the woods, so to speak. His Worship Mayor Gannam out of Wetaskiwin, her Worship Mayor Heron out of St. Albert, and her Worship Mayor Duncan out of Alberta Beach. I want to talk about? We wanted to follow up on that conversation. May twenty sixth. You may remember back on Real Talk, we checked in with uh, our friends at the AUMA, the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association, about this pledge that they were putting out. It's obviously a voluntary one. They wanted political candidates to sign on to this pledge. We thought, let's follow up and see what the uptick has been on that. I mean, have people, if it's if it's a voluntary commitment to a pledge to be honorable during a campaign, doesn't that kind of nail a few people's feet to the floor when it comes to the strategy they're probably going to employ? We'll find out who took that pledge I wonder if they'll start naming names of candidates who didn't. We'll ask for the list. I'll ask him to nail it to our door. We'll see if they agree. And I also want to get into the idea of a provincial police force, whether or not that's a good idea, whether or not mayors in the province of Alberta want it. And of course, we also have a couple of things coming up. Our regular Thursday feature, eat your words and trash talk because the week is compressed. So there's there's going to be a lot of venting going on the show today which is okay i hope people i hope by the end of it people kind of feel like you know that feeling when you know you work with a personal trainer and and it really sucks and it hurts but at the end of it when you're looking in the mirror and you're dripping with sweat and you feel it you go i kind of felt good that's like after you work out and yeah. like day two, you're sore and you're like, oh, that's a good sore. It's a good sore. That's a good sore. I could, I could barely get up the stairs, but but it felt so good. I remember that after I worked out, it was about seven years ago now, and uh, it was such a great feeling. This show is presented by a team of sponsors that are absolutely amazing, including those at Jet Set Parking. And we wanted to remind you. You can fly nonstop starting October 31st from Edmonton to San Diego with Swoop nonstop. Why not park your money in the bank and park your car at Jet Set? Here's the deal. If you already know you're going to be traveling and it's not just that San Diego flight, if you're going to be traveling via the Edmonton International Airport, if you go online to jetsetparking.com and book your parking before the end of August, so you've got five days to do it, doesn't matter when you're leaving, just book your parking by the end of August. The promo code REALTALK is going to let you park for $5 a day. $5 a day for travel all the way through to the end of 2022. Not 2021, the end of 2022. If you book your parking before the end of August at jetsetparking.com, use the promo code REALTALK and you'll get it for $5 a day. How great is that? We also wanted to remind you there's an amazing promotion going on at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Our good friends at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road said we wanted to do something meaningful in the context of reconciliation. And so they got in touch with the amazing team at the Wakutuin Society. For the entire month of August, you have just under a week left. Every child matters. Every cone counts. One dollar from every cone sold will go to the Wakutuin Society, where they provide amazing opportunities for healing women that have survived both residential schools and cancer. An opportunity to attend those retreats thanks to the support of people like you. And also a big shout out to the team at Friesen Brothers. They know the weekend's coming up. They know everybody's squeezing as much as they can out of these remaining weeks of summer. If you're going to be 
getting into the grill again this weekend. Don't forget about those Hatch chilies. I know I keep talking about them because they're amazing from Hatch, New Mexico. Change it up a little. Impress your family. Impress your guests. Swap out the bell peppers. Swap in the Hatch chilies. A very unique flavor. Not too hot. They're great on salads too. It's all part of Friesen Brothers bringing you the best and freshest ingredients. Proudly Alberta grown and Alberta owned. You can find out more at Friesen.com. As mentioned, it's uh, a tragic day at the Kabul airport. It's been a series of extremely difficult days as the United States prepares to pull its troops. At the end of August, there are implications, of course, for militaries represented there, including Canada's Canadian soldiers have been working to evacuate Afghani citizens. The Taliban putting a stop to that at a roadside checkpoint today near a sewage canal. It's believed a suicide bomber detonating explosives, casualties unknown, part of an ongoing saga with really a bleak future. If we're going to speak plainly, Jessica Davis is keeping an eye on this as an internationally recognized expert on terrorism indicators, women in terrorism, illicit financing and intelligence analysis. She's president and principal consultant at Insight Threat Intelligence. She spent more than 15 years in the Canadian security and intelligence community, including at CSIS and FinTrack. Jessica, it's great to have you here on Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us today. So nice to speak to you today, Ryan. It's hard when you when you cover a reality like this in Afghanistan every day, the story develops in into more heartbreaking directions. And we know, obviously, no end in sight, to put it lightly. How does somebody like you with nearly two decades of experience in this field process what you're seeing right now in Kabul and across that country? You know, a lot of it is for me and for a lot of people who do this kind of work about compartmentalization. So, you know, at the end of the day, just closing the computer and trying to do different things. But when we're looking at the situation in Afghanistan, it's particularly difficult because a lot of us in the security and intelligence community globally have put a lot of time and effort into the situation in Afghanistan. We've lost friends and family members overseas. So it is a bit of a difficult challenge. When we're talking about watching the Taliban take control of Afghanistan, it's hard not to feel a sense of despair uh, based on 20 years of presence in Afghanistan and, and sort of wondering what what was it for can can I ask you exactly that can we can we, can we treat it like that's not a rhetorical question because I've, I've seen so many people including Canadians who served over there saying what was it all for and you understand their their lamentation but I've never heard anybody give a good answer so, yeah, I don't think that I have got the good answer for you today either. Um, certainly in the short term, it was to prevent Al-Qaeda from being able to launch additional attacks against the United States and its allies. And I think to a certain extent that succeeded. 20 years of counterterrorism in the region really diminished Al-Qaeda's ability to conduct those terrorist attacks. The one thing that I'll say, though, is that the Taliban today is not the same as the Taliban from 2001. They've learned lessons, hopefully, um, about what the cost is for sponsoring terrorist organizations and allowing them to run free in terms of their territory. So there is some hope, some hope that the Taliban will 
sort of clamp down on terrorist activity in Afghanistan and not allow al-Qaeda to de- redevelop into the internationally capable organization that it was before 9-11. You know, we heard a really interesting, there was an interesting comment yesterday from uh, Harman Candola. He joined us. He's a, a vice president with the uh, the World Sick Organization of Canada. And, and he said something interesting. He said the Taliban insists that it's different than it was 20 years ago. He said, however, the religious ideology or the extremist ideology, let me say there, does not permit flexibility. So there's no way the Taliban is different. What do you think? I think that every terrorist organization is a learning organization. They adapt to the counterterrorism pressures that they're under. What lessons the Taliban will have taken from 20 years of counterterrorism is an entirely different question. So I think that a lot of the fundamental pieces of the Taliban are still the same. The way that they intend to govern, I don't see a huge difference there. Um, But how they end up doing that and how they interact with, with the international community is still a bit of an open question. And while I'm skeptical i'm also a little bit hopeful jessica how i mean you're a you're a financial intelligence analyst i'm really looking forward to getting into this with you because it's an angle that not a lot of people including myself have awareness around and i think it's it's not really robustly expressed but let me ask sort of a a wide angle question first including war expenditures i mean i've seen numbers ranging from two depending on on where you're talking about in the middle east uh, american war efforts uh you know between two and five trillion dollars obviously other governments have, have spent gobs of money having troops over there as well we'll talk about the financing behind the taliban but how much of this is about money how much does money drive terrorism and counterterrorism efforts around the world money is everything when it comes to terrorism you can't conduct a large-scale complex attack with lots of casualties without a lot of money. You can do small lone actor style attacks with smaller amounts of money, but they don't generate the same headlines. So terrorist organizations are really looking for those big 9-11 style attacks whenever they can. Money also sustains terrorist organizations. So if a group like Al-Qaeda or the Islamic State doesn't have money, they're going to have a really hard time paying salaries of fighters. They're going to have a hard time eating getting weapons and equipment. So it's really the lifeblood of every organization. And it's unfortunate that it's gotten such um, sort of short shrift in terms of media attention and even academic and practitioner analyses, because without money, you have very little in terms of a terrorism problem. So where do you think the media should be focusing right now? I mean, where does the conversation need to be at? Well, I think the conversation on counterterrorist financing in general in Afghanistan is about looking just beyond the revenues. So before the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, we saw that the Taliban was a well-funded organization for what they were doing. So they were a terrorist organization conducting um sort of limited operations. Now with the takeover of Afghanistan, this is they've now transitioned from a terrorist group to a state entity. With that comes a lot more expenses, and the Afghan economy is in a bit of a state right now. Some could even say an an economic crisis um, with banks being closed, lack of access to international financial systems, lack of access to the the dollar. So the Taliban is going to have some real economic challenges coming up. And this is sort of where we need to be focusing some of our attention. You know, what are the levers that we can pull as an international community to try to bring the Taliban into the fold to a certain extent 
uh, in the international community because they have de facto control of a country at this point. So you're talking about when you when you say bringing the Taliban there, you're, you're talking about sort of finding some semblance of stability. Is, is that what we're talking about? I, I know that there's there, there will be great sensitivity. We'll be talking a little bit later in the show about a, a Canadian minister, Marianne Monsef's comments yesterday about speaking to our brothers, the Taliban. And you look at the response from millions of Canadians. It's a pretty easy way to gauge the temperature of how people, I think, around the world expect their governments to, to respond to what we're seeing in Afghanistan. What, what does diplomacy look like? How, how, how would you lay it out? Yeah, and, and the financial levers that I'm talking about here are really ways to try to limit the Taliban's ability to inflict grave human rights, um, to their ability to provide safe haven to terrorist organizations. So sanctions are an important piece of this puzzle. So in Canada, there are listed terrorist entities, so you can't provide any kind of support to the organization. Um, to a certain extent, that prohibits really a lot of financial transactions with Afghanistan, but there are other measures that maybe need to be taken in terms of listing specific uh, members of the government. This is all the kind of ways that we can, as an international community, exert pressure on the Taliban and try to constrain their activities. Because unfortunately, the reality of the situation is, I don't think that there's any international appetite to remove the Taliban from Afghanistan. Like that, that ship largely sailed so now we have to look at our other tools that we have and some of the most of those are really financial at this point you're, ta you're talking about the obvious you're, ta you're talking about no appetite to send troops back in exactly yeah no kidding so so to pull these levers i mean you've seen this from the inside what does that look like first of all you got to know if you're going to turn the taps off where are the tap handles right so I hear a lot of people talking about China. I hear a lot of people invoking other nations. What do we know or, or how do governments gather data security agents? How does the intel gathering work? Yeah, this is that's a huge question. Um, so the levers themselves are all kinds of things. So we can't control the Taliban's ability to tax internally. They now have that ability that's going to be a significant source of revenue for them. So taxation and extortion activities. What we have a bit more ability to influence is their connection to the international financial system. So that can include sanctioning the country as a whole in terms of um, prohibiting international banking relationships. The problem is here is that there are a number of regional actors who have a vested interest in ongoing relationships with uh, Afghanistan, regardless of who is in power. So one of the ones that comes to mind is, of course, Iran. They're actively selling um, oil and petroleum products to Afghanistan. That trade relationship is ongoing. So our ability to sort of influence that, given that Iran is largely uh, sanctioned anyways, is it's fairly limited. Then we have the issue of China and Russia to a certain extent. Um, both of these countries have different interests in Afghanistan. They have a fairly strong counterterrorism posture in terms of not wanting um, terrorist organizations to establish a foothold in Afghanistan. But especially in the case of China, China has a lot of vested interests in Pakistan. So <laughs> they're really working with the Pakistani government to try to stabilize the situation in Afghanistan, that may mean allowing some financial transactions with the country. So there's a really a lot of complexity here and not all that many uh, levers that we can really pull in a meaningful way. How much can governments actually do at this point? I mean, you, you've seen it from the inside with regards to conversations going on in the PMO and the Oval Office and, and around the world. I mean, what are they probably 
talking about right now with regards to realistic, doable options at this point? Yeah, I mean, that's going to that's gonna depend entirely on what country we're talking about. For a country like Canada, we're really thinking about ways that we can limit exposure and make sure that the Canadian financial system isn't used in any way to further terrorist activity or Taliban activity. Um, so that's really making sure that our sanctions and listing regime is covering all of those bases. There may be a little bit of room in Canada to apply additional sanctions, depending on the nuances there. For a country like the United States, who has a lot more ability to control the international financial system and access to the U.S. dollar, they're looking at additional sanctions, what specific sanctions they can apply to make maybe um, particular individuals in the Afghan governments make their lives a little bit more difficult. Internationally, though, again, we come up against the Russia-China issue. Um, a lot of response in a similar situation would be enhanced sanctions from the Security Council. That, I would argue, is probably unlikely to happen in this instance, just because Russia and China have a veto seat and could spoil any of those efforts. So, you know, it's it's a difficult situation, and a lot of it's about minimizing exposure at this point. Can you imagine sitting around that table? Can you imagine sitting at those conversations and the different interests that are represented by these different nations? I recognize this is this is a real sort of a bleacher seat type comment, but it's not lost on me that the magnitude of policy discussions, including these sanctions you're discussing. If you're just tuning in, Jessica Davis is our guest. Uh, she's a financial intelligence analyst with Insight Threat Intelligence. Jessica, you've got a new book coming out, I understand, next month uh, or maybe in a couple weeks, right? Illicit Money, Financing Terrorism in the 21st Century. I know a lot of people will be interested to get into the pages of that. We had a, a conversation with uh, Heather McPherson the other day. She's uh, running to defend her seat. She's the only new Democrat member of parliament in the entire province of Alberta. And I and I asked her about the NDP's platform they they say basically i mean i will i will I'm gonna quote it directly because i don't have it in front of me but they say that they're going to address far-right extremism in canada i mean essentially what they want to do is collapse the groups now i don't know if that's possible but you're talking about what the canadian government or what canadian intelligence agencies or the rcmp can do here in canada one group that I think of this, this made news, obviously, over the past year was when the Proud Boys, a far right group, was was deemed to be or was added to Canada's terror watch list. They're officially defined as a terrorism group. You think it's doable what the NDP is talking about? I mean, meaningfully addressing far right extremism in Canada. What would that look like from the angle of our discussion here? Yeah, so more more effort to combat far right or extreme right uh, terrorism in Canada or violent extremism in Canada can include additional listings of terrorist entities. This is a really interesting piece of the puzzle in Canada because what we've seen, the, the terrorist listing process has largely been used against groups that operate outside of Canada. Um, and so the listing of the Proud Boys and to a lesser extent, some of the other ones has some of the most financial impacts that we would have seen from any terrorist listing, because there were the larger, largest number of individuals publicly identified with the Proud Boys in Canada compared to the publicly identified members of Al Qaeda or uh, the Islamic State. So the impact of listing when we're talking about domestic groups can be greater. 
I would say, though, that a lot of these groups aren't using large scale fundraising mechanisms. A lot of their activities are self-funded and like crowdfunding or soliciting donations from identity based support networks. So our tools in the counterterrorist financing space are a little bit more limited, but there's also the ability to exploit domestic financial intelligence that is unparalleled when we talk about international groups. Jessica Davis is a financial intelligence analyst, formerly with FinTrack, CSIS. She's president and principal consultant at Insight Threat Intelligence. Her new book coming out soon, Illicit Money, Financing Terrorism in the 21st Century. Jessica, really appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for this. Thanks for a great conversation, Ryan. You bet. You can send us your thoughts, Real Talkers, on this. I, I know we're going to have when we say, you know, your thoughts on Afghanistan. Jeez. Uh, your thoughts on China and Russia, your thoughts on international sanctions, your thoughts on the Security Council, your thoughts on what Canada should do in a scenario like this. It, it's a massive question that we ask you. And sometimes we keep our questions really broad on purpose. We want to reiterate that whatever angle you approach from, we're interested in it. You'll notice that we've talked about Afghanistan a few days in a row here f- from all different angles. We've talked about, you know, we talked to a person, a firsthand perspective a woman who, who grew up there as a young girl was denied access to education, had to risk her life to carry books around. We talked to an advocate, a lawyer yesterday, worried about the fate of religious minorities. Today, the financial angle on this is what we want you to expect with a show like this, not just the same old mail them in interviews, not just the same talking heads. And we look to you oftentimes for insight. You can be in touch with us to talk at Ryan anytime. Before we talk about civility and politics, if it is a thing, before we get into conversations with with a few different mayors on on upcoming elections and that pledge and a provincial police force, let me remind you that we know that a whole bunch of you are either back to school, ran into a guy yesterday on the sidewalk. He tells me his son's already been at football tryouts for two weeks. I mean, back to school is already a thing for some people. And of course, over this next week or so, that's going to be the reality for thousands of kids. More on that in trash talk. But right now, let's steer you to Westworld.ca. I wanted to remind you that our friends at Westworld have kicked off their Back to the Future school and work sale. That means that when you buy a new Mac with Apple Care Plus at Westworld, they're going to give you up to $100 to spend on awesome accessories. Or if a new iPad Pro with Apple Care, that's like the one I have in front of me right now, Apple Care Plus, if that's on your shopping list, you'll get $50 in instant savings on accessories. And of course, you can save hundreds of dollars in addition to that by trading up your current mac or ipad when you do that have confidence that the team at westworld is going to transfer your data for free make sure everything you want off that old unit is properly and securely removed just part of the service you get when you shop at westworld we're also excited my wife carrie and i to let you know that on september 11th we're throwing a big tailgate gathering don't worry it's gonna be outdoors there's gonna be lots of room for everybody but it's because we're celebrating deroche villages That's right. A homecoming event to kick off back to school and the CFL football season. Your opportunity to tour beautiful show homes by Daytona, Jamin, Landmark, Pace Setter. And we're going to send 75 small groups to the Elks Stampeders game. More details will be arriving in the inboxes of our Patreon supporters. They've got first access to this coming up on Sunday. The next Sunday, if you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message, that's our free email that goes out every Sunday. We'll have details there. And of course, we'll 
keep you in the loop coming up as September 11th approaches. In the meantime, you can check out DeRoche online on Instagram at DeRoche.homes. If you don't have plans... It kicks off tonight. You want to get outside and enjoy some music? You want to see the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra back together in its entirety for the first time in a long time? Why not check out windspearcenter.com? That's where you can get your tickets to the ESO Symphony Under the Sky. It's taking place in William Horlack Park from August 26th. That's tonight through till September 5th. An amazing opportunity to expose new fans of Symphony. I'm thinking of all the little ones. Might love the Hollywood Hits, or what about those that love the classic gems, including Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture? There's nothing like it. Tickets start at 20 bucks at windspearcenter.com. Kids under 17, accompanied by an adult, get to attend for free. How cool is that if you sit on that beautiful grassy hill at Horlack Park? If you live near us, you know what I'm talking about. Every Thursday, courtesy of our friends at Prairie Catering, we offer somebody an opportunity to eat your words as mentioned presented by prairie catering now you've probably seen this clip online yesterday making the rounds canada's minister for women and gender equality and rural economic development Miriam monsef she was on real talk just a short time ago calling the taliban our brothers during a press conference on Canadian evacuation efforts in Afghanistan. As part of the contingent, the reason why she was talking, a group of cabinet ministers are shaping the government's participation in that international air bridge out of Kabul. Anyway, here's what she said. I want to take this opportunity to speak to our brothers, the Taliban. We call on you to ensure the safe and secure passage of any individual in Afghanistan, out of the country. So people's heads exploded. People started lighting their hair on fire. People didn't like it at all. Now, there is relevant and appropriate background here, right? Minister Monsef herself is a refugee. Her family fled violence in Afghanistan. Uh, born to Afghan parents, Monsef has said she identifies as Afghan-Canadian, always believed that she was born there, as a matter of fact, and uh, until she realized her mom had revealed that she had been born uh, in Iran, in a refugee camp near the border there. Well, later in the day, uh, the minister issued a statement noting that Muslims refer to each other as brothers and sisters. She said, so, you know, rest assured, I continue to believe deeply that the Taliban is a terrorist organization. She went on the record and said that not everybody was convinced, including Fatima Syed. You've heard Fatima on Real Talk before. She's vice president of the Canadian Association of Journalists. Uh, she said, you know, there's not a lot of Muslim political journalists in Canada, so I have to regrettably say something about Miriam Monsef. She said, it's a fact. Brothers is a term of respect. It is false that Muslims call the Taliban brothers. My opinion, this was dumb. My solution, move on. There's lives on the line. What about this from Masih Alinejad, an Iranian journalist, said, you know, quoting a woman in Afghanistan. So she's got a message for Minister Monsef. Your brothers rape and kill us here. And that's why we're still stuck at home. Don't refer to them as our brothers. Zara Sultani is a political commentator, says, as a Canadian who moved to this country as an Afghan refugee, I want to be clear. There is no cultural context in which calling the Taliban brothers is acceptable. Words carry meaning and meanings imply moral positions. Here's my take on it. 
So it goes without saying that ethnic and religious communities are not monoliths, right? There's nuance in how people speak, including the words they use. And it's probably ridiculous to suggest that there was something nefarious, a dog whistle, if you will, woven into the minister's comment yesterday. But words matter big time, especially in supercharged situations like what we're seeing in Afghanistan right now. And while life is rarely black and white, we live in the gray areas, don't we? In this circumstance, the vast majority of Canadians would expect a less endearing English term to be directed toward a brutal group of terrorists responsible for countless deaths, past, present and tragically future. Got to say it, minister. It's time to eat your words. Presented by Prairie Catering. You know, Prairie Catering offers corporate catering for office meetings, in person, virtual. They can deliver. They invite you to host your business meetings. Consider them conferences at the Art Gallery of Alberta. From executive boardrooms to their state-of-the-art theater, they can host up to 300 people. You can get 20% off. That's a big chunk. 20% off any rental space at the Art Gallery of Alberta for your next function. When you mention Eat Your Words on Real Talk, valid for 2021 rental dates. Thanks to our friends at Prairie Catering. An election's approaching. Have you heard? Have you heard? A federal election coming up on September 20th and then October 18th, municipal elections across the province of Alberta. We've been partnering up with the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association, the AUMA, to offer you insight from community leaders, from the desks of the mayors, the movers and the shakers who are making decisions, who understand the needs And the temperatures, if you will, politically and otherwise, in their own communities. It's part of a series we've been proud to present. And and today, we're grateful that the mayor out of Alberta Beach, Her Worship Angela Duncan, the mayor out of the city of St. Albert, Her Worship Kathy Heron, and the mayor out of Wetaskiwin, His Worship Tyler Gannam, have agreed to join us. To the three of you, welcome to Real Talk. And and thanks for being here. Uh, Mayor Heron, why don't we we start with you? We want to talk about conduct, good conduct, good behavior your civility in politics i know the three of you are going to insist that it does and can exist but but how much of a challenge has it been to get people to sign on to this pledge that we first talked about on this show back in may this election pledge what's what's the uptake been you know i was watching the previous speaker and then your um eat your own words and i kept thinking to myself God, I hope he never features me on that segment (laughs) because that's exactly what um, we're talking about in the pledge is trying to conduct ourselves. And and I'm sure the minister had no uh, ill intent in her (laughs) statement, but being in front of the media and being in front of residents um, can get emotional and you might often. So we need to, the pledge is about keeping ourselves at a very high level of ethical and moral standards because in today's world, politicians are quite often not um, looked upon in favorable light. And especially with the world of social media, it, it, it's easy to criticize, and, but it's up to the elected officials to, to rise above that. So the pledge is about signing on to a commitment to not show partisanship and to just talk respectfully and be very transparent in everything we do. Yeah, but easier said than done, right, Mayor Duncan? Way easier said than done. Absolutely. Uh, I just have to correct you. I am the deputy mayor. Pardon me. Yeah, not the mayor. I, I don't know. You're, you're, take the promotion. I would take a promotion. 
<laughs> Thank you. But it is certainly much easier said than done to demonstrate all of the principles that we believe are important in a democratic society, especially at the local level. Mayor Gandam, I mean, this is something you and I have spoken several times over the past number of months uh, about the campaigns that we're going to see. And, and of course, they're looking different in every community. Obviously, every campaign has employs a different strategy. How would you characterize uh, what you've seen from political candidates uh, over the past number of weeks as as elections approach? Would you describe them as civil? Have you noticed any encouraging signs? It's been really quiet lately. I don't know if a lot of people are seeing the um, abuse that elected officials will take uh, in their roles or their positions because there hasn't, and in my community, there hasn't been a lot of people that are putting their names forward or expressing that they're going to be running for it. So it's been really quiet in terms of the election and the campaigning and maybe the, the mudslinging that would normally be going on. And I've seen some pretty bad elections um, in previous terms where it got really bad and made a person, even myself, question why I would get involved with something like this if I was going to be facing an opponent that um, would act or treat another candidate the way that they have been. Can I, can I ask you in follow-up, have you, do you have moments? Have you had moments where you go, why am I even doing this? Absolutely. There is no question in my mind. I just announced... Um, this week that I was going to be seeking re-election and it was a lot of soul searching and trying to figure out if what I'm doing is um, what I want to continue doing. And part of that is the social media aspect of how, um, how people treat elected officials. And it's not just in my city, it's all across the province. I get the opportunity to meet with and talk to a bunch of members of council from across Alberta. And like, I'm not the only one taking that kind of abuse. Many are, and it's not fair. So if that's what's going to get transitioned into an election, I think that it's going to hold people back and it's going to hold good people back from getting involved. And that's unfortunate. We've got a, a whole bunch of people that are tuning in live right now. I want to invite real talkers that are, that are participating live in this right now to submit your questions to us. We're keeping an eye. Uh, producer Sarah Hoyles is on our official hashtag Real Talk RJ, as well as in our live chat on YouTube. It's a great way to ask a question of the mayors. Um, I, I, I agree with Tyler. I, I, I agree with Mayor Gannon uh, and Mayor Heron. I'm not sure if, if you've noticed the same thing. I recognize that, uh, you know, there, there's a federal election happening before the municipal election. And I understand that people have been buying billboards six or eight months ago. And, and I recognize that we're going to see a big uptick in advertising and campaigns will go sort of shifted into overdrive, probably a couple or maybe a few weeks from now. But if, have you been a little bit surprised? I, I, as soon as mayor said that, I went, I know exactly what he means. Uh, Kathy, do you feel the same way? It's been it's been kind of eerily quiet so far. What is it? What's it been like in your yeah. neck of the woods? St. Albert's got uh, not not very many people running for council. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about it this morning. I write in a journal every morning and trying to put my thoughts out. And I feel like for 18 months, uh, the elected officials have been living in a bubble. And that bubble is, uh, only thing penetrating it is social media and emails. And it's so easy when you're sitting on your phone or at a keyboard to say vile and um, misinformed things. And then last night I had the pleasure of actually meeting in person, which is so amazing with all the not-for-profits in my community. And then I, I felt the joy back com coming back. These are the people that, you know, are, are working for the food bank and victim services. So I think the bubble has kind of tainted some and, and put a bad taste in the elected officials mouth. And we just really need to break free and, and realize that 
that negativity is a small piece, but the most most residents in Alberta are are super giving and compassionate and neighborly and community minded, and that's that's the important thing, and that's why we do the job. Angela, did you? think twice before getting involved I, I like listen let me let me just say this we call a show real talk which is a promise we make every single day so let me make a real comment here this should be an optimistic positive conversation where we talk about the pledge and civility and decency but the real talk for me in this one is and and i've got thick skin trust me and i and i'll, I'll take barbs and 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 shots and from all angles sometimes and, and some someone will say you should run for office and i'm like hell no <laughs> There's <laughs> hell no, there's no way. But if we don't have great candidates, like when Mayor Heron says we don't have a lot of people running in, in St. Albert, my heart kind of sinks a little bit because I want people to run. And then I go, well, what sort of mixed message am I sending to my fellow Canadians or to my fellow Albertans in this circumstance? What what prompted you? Obviously, you knew that you were getting into an arena here. You know, you knew where you were <laughs> lacing them up. You didn't know what sort of public criticism you might face. What convinced you to cross that bridge and say, I'm going to do it? When I first decided to run, it was really important to me that I was a positive influence in my community. So I didn't like the direction that my community was going at the time. And I've always firmly believed that if you don't like something and you're going to complain about it, you have an obligation to do something about it. So that's what prompted me to run is that I wanted to see change and I thought that I could do it and I thought I could do it well. So have you like, would you describe it to this point as a success? Have, have you reiterated your faith in it? I mean, have, have you said, I thought I could do it and I did it? Or, or are you sitting here going, you know, honest answer, this is a little bit more difficult than even I forecasted it might be? Um, I've had moments of both. I was initially elected in 2013, so it took me a while to get my feet underneath me, and, and I had no interest in politics at the time. And now I'm sitting as the interim president of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. So I would say not only did I think I could do it, but I certainly am doing it and hopefully will continue to do it. If you'd like, I mean, I've bumped you up from deputy mayor to mayor. If you'd like me to make you president of the AUMA <laughs> right now, we could probably do that. Does anybody Hey, can, let me put you all in a really tough spot? Because so we've had him on the show before, uh, you know, now I suppose former president of the AUMA, Barry Morishita, who's the mayor of Brooks, right, is is uh, has thrown his hat in the ring for the leadership of the Alberta Party. Am I uh, am I allowed to ask the three of you what 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 you make of this? Because I mean, this is newsworthy. I think this this is kind of an interesting storyline. Uh, is anybody feeling like you want to comment on this one or not? I I can I'm absolutely well. Uh, Barry was a fantastic, and I can't say that with more emphasis, president of the AUMA. He actually did four years instead of the typical two. He uh, believes in Alberta like I've never seen anyone else believe in Alberta. He has visited every municipality that is a member of AUMA. He's traveled this province. And so I think this is an exciting step. It's exciting for Alberta. I think um, a three-party system in in Alberta will provide options for residents. Because I know there's many... uh, that are feeling homeless, partyless, I guess is the better word right now. And um, we'll see what Barry can do to maybe uh, find a place for some people to land. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's like, you talk to him. I, I've had an opportunity, you know, to have a couple beers with him a couple of times. And I, I agree with your assessment of how he feels about his community. 
You know, like especially even I, I like it like he throws punches out of Brooks, too. Right. I like it. I like I like the way he rolls. I'm going to be curious to see what that does to the dynamic uh, with regards to the, the sort of the political parties in Alberta. There's still a couple of years before anybody's going to the polls. He's got his work cut out for him. But at the same time, I look at the vote totals from 2019. Alberta Party had like 170,000 votes. Right. The NDs had like 600 and some thousand. I mean, it's, it's not a joke. And I'm going to be really curious to see. We'll obviously bring uh, Barry on the show and talk to him about this. But yeah, I know that it's changed up the dynamic is at, at the AUMA as well. Of course, as Deputy Mayor Duncan has, has stepped into that role. Uh, Mayor Ganim, it's it's said a lot. I know when the AUMA's members uh, back at the, the spring uh, Leaders Caucus meeting, over 90 percent of them, 91 percent expressed support for taking this pledge. The AUMA pledge. But here's the interesting thing, or one of the many interesting things is you decided the AUMA decided not to track it. So there's not an online tracker. You can't go on the website and say, hey, hang on, like which candidate for mayor or which candidate for council took the pledge. Do you think it would be more effective if you did? You think voters might be able to say, I want to know who's actually going to put their money where their mouth is and actually sign on to be decent. I'm not sure. I think it could go either way. I'm, part of the reason that we aren't tracking it is that we don't want to make it look like we're supporting a member who has taken the pledge. And then again, everything that um, a candidate or um, a, a member of council right now does is is on their own. And they need to, they need to make sure that they're representing themselves and they're representing their community the way that their community wants them to be represented. And it might take a little bit of time for um, the general public to understand what that pledge means or what their candidate is going to do for them in that in that sense. But I think for each member of council to stand up and say that this is going to be something that I stand for, what I'm going to do for our community and ensure that the civility in politics is something that they're going to carry forward. And if this is the first term or first election that we go through something like this and they have that ability and it changes the tone a little bit moving forward, that might be the reason that more good candidates run in the next election. Yeah. Now, we should point out that there's also municipal government's codes of conduct. So it's not as though it's a free for all if you haven't taken this voluntary pledge. And I want to talk to you about the three of that, uh, the three of you about that in just a second. Mark makes a fair comment on our live chat. I've got to throw it into the mix. He says, let's not assume that Barry Marashita is going to win the Alberta Party leadership race as a fair comment. I should note that, of course, there have been some just absolutely bizarre rumors out there people talking about brian gene coming in to try to win the alberta party leadership race i'm going oh boy this is gonna be a brouhaha i'll tell you what it's great for it's great for talk shows and i'm very excited about that let's talk about this municipal code of conduct there have been some pretty high profile dust-ups one of them in edmonton uh with uh councillor mike nickel of course who's running for mayor right now we've seen it in red deer as well with a candidate down in red deer and i know that people you know people i think for the most part had no idea until maybe buck buchanan or mike nickel or others were facing sanctions that this code of conduct even existed uh mayor heron what's it all about can, can you sort of lay it out for us with regards to how it establishes we want to call them rules of engagement for elected officials and, and then we'll talk about the future of this because my understanding is it could be collapsed Sure, I can give you a bit of history. In 2015, the NDP government um, changed the Municipal Government Act and, and required every municipality to have a code of conduct, which I, I think was a fantastic addition to our <clears throat> governance structure. It 
and every community could develop their own. So, you know, at, right after the 17 elections or and even preceding that, councils would sit down and really honestly discuss what their values are and their principles and how they want to govern their municipality. And then they signed a, a, a code of conduct. I think it's a fantastic thing to have. Uh, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, it should be required, in my opinion. I, I would point out that it could be improved. Uh, and you, the examples that you've just given with Mike Nickel and et cetera, show where it doesn't work so well. But as was anything that's new in legislation, it can be improved. So, you know, I, I could go into what the changes I'd like to see, but I don't know if that's really uh, the key thing. I, I want to point out, though, that Minister Madhu, or sorry, Minister MacGyver, who is, is now our municipal affairs minister, he uh, he has actually uh, told AUMA that for now they're going to keep them as a mandatory piece of legislation. That's a good thing, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, would, would you describe him as, as effective? Like Mayor Gannam, I, I mean, I, obviously no one's, I think, going to ever describe except maybe the author of legislation it as perfect. I mean, is it working? Can can the can the average citizen have confidence that that elected officials could be or will be held to account if they stray outside reasonable expectations? I think that there is that uh, ability to hold a member of council accountable uh, in terms of the effectiveness of a code of conduct. I don't think that there's enough teeth to it, and I don't think that there's the ability for a council to hold a member of council um, accountable again. Uh, because of that, um, taking away boards and committees, um, which might potentially affect their pay, um, but not necessarily depending on how it's structured, might not be enough of a reason for a member of council to conduct themselves under that code of conduct. So what, um, what do the teeth look like? I mean, what would you like to see? You can, you can be, what do we call it? It's not impeached. What do you call it? Just booted? Well, I think I think as as an employee, uh, you get written up and then you have like you have the verbal war- or the written warning, the verbal warning, and then possibly termination. And I think if there's going to be legislation from the province on a recall, I think that the same should be said for a member of council who breaches the code of conduct. Uh, confidentiality is huge with with councils and the the amount of information that you get prior to uh, like if there's a land deal or with personnel or dealing with things at a municipal level if they're not keeping that code of conduct or not keeping that confidentiality that could ultimately affect how a municipality operates and it could affect um, what goes on in that city or town for a long time so not having that ability to hold somebody accountable aside from taking away boards or committees uh, and making them formally apologize or censoring them i don't think that is a deterrent for somebody who isn't going to maintain that code of conduct i have uh i have such a uh, man you know people can be made martyrs right and and to me um part of the whole sanction thing or the you know you sort of like effectively hitting mute on somebody uh allows someone to essentially nail themselves to a cross and i have a real kind of inherent pushback against that kind of a thing I'm not sure if anybody you I mean, you mentioned you you opened the can, not me, Mayor Gandam, uh recall legislation. I don't know if anybody actually believes that we're going to see meaningful recall legislation. I don't know who wants the fastball first, but Deputy Mayor Duncan, why don't we go to you? Do you think that we're going to see it? You think that Albertans are going to see anything resembling meaningful recall legislation from the provincial government? I'm not sure how effective Uh, the recall legislation will be at the municipal level. There are concerns from smaller communities, actually, 
with the requirements of the recall legislation. So if it's being done on percentage of population um, in a small community where you maybe have 400 people, it actually doesn't take very, very much to get to the point of a potential recall. Um, and the dynamics in a small town can be quite different and we all know each other. Uh, I can't walk out my front door without being stopped. So I do see the potential of it being abused for some small communities, but when we look at our larger centers, no, I don't think that the legislation will be overly effective. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll insert my own editorial comment here. I think it would be fascinating if the provincial government, which is, is polling quite low right now, popularity wise, were to introduce recall legislation that they'd put anything out that would threaten any of their financial or career well-being or otherwise. Mayor Heron, anything you want to add to that? It's, it, the bar is too high for so for St. Albert, I, you would have to collect like. 7,000 odd signatures. Yeah. That's just, that's, that's too high. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of get to a point where you, you've got the, the former uh, reality TV star, Donald Trump, who said, you know, I could have shot somebody on Fifth Avenue and still got elected. I think it gets to the point where recall requirements are, are so out of reach that you might as well not have legislation in the first place. That's my hot take. I'd be curious to know how real talkers feel about this. Can we talk about a provincial police force? I mean, I, you know, rural crime is is a real issue. Uh, but I'm not sure that I've ever heard somebody lay out a plan that I think is really going to be effective, aside from spending a whole bunch more money to provide way more resources for these communities that need them. But here we have community leaders with us, uh, including uh, from Alberta Beach and, and, and Wetaskiwin. Mayor Gannon, would you consider is Wetaskiwin, would you consider it a rural center or no? I mean, it's, it's an it's an urban municipality. But but we, when we're talking rural crime, you can probably chime in. I would say that we're still we're still facing and, and addressing rural crime in yeah. a smaller city, thirteen thousand people. So definitely, we're more rural than we would be urban. So when it comes to talk of a provincial police force, uh, you know, I, I know that the provincial government is is trying to talk to Albertans and say that you know this isn't going to be some big cost bleed that nobody asked for in the first place. That we're going to be able to pull it off. I'm sure that there's some cynicism, but there's other models. Ontario does it. As an example, do you think a provincial police force could be something that might address this in meaningful fashion? What are your thoughts on the idea? I don't think that it's going to change the dynamics of how policing happens in Alberta. I'm really interested to see that PwC report that uh, should be released later this fall on how and why a provincial police service is going to change what the RCMP is doing. I'm the mayor of the most dangerous city in Alberta, and we have been listed this by McLean's for three, if not four years. And I don't see how the change in police service is going to change how we're going to police um, the crimes that we've got going on in Wetaskiwin. So maybe I'm missing something completely, and maybe something in the report is going to showcase what it is that we're missing here, and that's the change that we need. But I can't see it from from my perspective. You know, political advisors, strategists would probably say, hey, man, keep a lid on that. Don't don't say out loud that you're mayor of them of the most dangerous city <laughs> in Alberta. It's not going to it's not going to attract investment. It's not going to it's not going to do anything for real estate in Wetaskiwin. Well, what, what prompts you to just throw it out there? We're heading this thing off like we're, we're taking it on as 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 best that we can. Uh, we had uh, we've been having a great relationship with Minister Madhu, who has um, 
given Wetaskiwin grant where we're going to see 10 RCMP members coming to the region to help battle that. Our RCMP are, are dealing with twice the provincial code calls for service. Our crime severity index is two and a half times the provincial average. We've been, we've been begging the province for help um, to address this. And thankfully they've, they've stepped up and they're bringing us the resources that I think is going to take to get us back on track. But in no way am I going to shy away or say that we don't have a problem here in Wetaskiwin. We do. And so if, if that's what it takes and that's the, the relationship that we need to take with the province to make sure that they understand what we're facing, uh, I'm glad that they've come to the table and helped us out. And I look forward to seeing the difference that we're going to have over the next three or four years. Are you able to put your finger on something? I mean, are you, are you able to say when you see a rise in crime rates, uh, or certain types of crime or whatever, uh, you would have access to way more statistics, way more insight, obviously, than I would from here. Um, is it is it unemployment? Is it the economic downturn? Is is it the opioid crisis? I mean, is, is there something that you can say this is what we think is driving it? We've we've had a high crime rate for for a number of years. So I think it's the the social and economic uh, climate that Wisconsin has lower level of education, lower level of income plays a big factor in that and not having the social programmings that go along with it is going to be a huge part of why we change the direction that the city is in right now. So we're not going to police our way out of this right now. What we're doing is making sure that we've got supports in place for the RCMP that are working with Aspen. With that comes the social programming and making sure that we've got uh, counseling for mental health and addictions. And we start looking after that side of it. It's the mental health and addictions, I think, that is driving the crime rates, not just in Wetaskiwin, but I think throughout the province. I think you're bang on. And I keep hearing that from experts, not just politicians, uh, nothing against politicians, obviously. Uh, but you talk to mental health experts, you talk to health and wellness experts, you talk to counselors you talk, uh, across the spectrum, sociologists, et cetera. And they will all say you're not. I mean, it doesn't even matter. Right. Deputy Mayor uh, Duncan, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't even matter. You, you can pick any subject with regards to social issues that politicians will attempt to address. And you could probably say to all of them, you're not going to police your way out of this. I would say that's a pretty accurate statement. Rural crime and policing, although they're intertwined, are not necessarily working together. Um, even if I have an RCMP cruiser that shows up to my house five minutes after I call them, it doesn't change the fact that I was broken into. And we need to address some of those socioeconomic issues that are causing the increase in rural crime and we need policies to address that. We do need um, better and more policing I would say that that could be accomplished with the RCMP and working with the service that we currently have um, and not having seen the PwC report, I don't know which way would be cheaper, but I can assume that the loss of federal grants would um, play a significant impact in a transition to provincial police service. But even if we are successful and we get boots on the ground and we get better response times and better service in rural Alberta, if we don't address those root causes, um, it doesn't really fix anything. Can you, uh, I was going to say, can you take us all out to Alberta beach? I would, I would keep that invitation open. I'd love to get back out there, especially right now before the leaves start to fall. What a beautiful part of the country it is, but can you take us there with regards to, can you give us a bit of an idea of the dynamic there? I mean, how many people there are there, how many RCMP officers you might have at any given time and maybe some of the real issues. Like can, can you, can you give us a, a bit of a, uh, of a synopsis of, of what your community looks like right now? Yeah, definitely. So our permanent population is a thousand people. 
But in the summertime, we balloon on some weekends up to 5,000 people. So we have a a different dynamic in Alberta Beach than in some other rural communities. Um, But our policing is not necessarily adequate. And I think my community would tell you that. We do have a community peace officer, but our our RCMP comes from Spruce Grove, which is if you're driving the speed limit, just under a half an hour away. So if you have an issue and you need a police officer, if they come lights and sirens, we're looking at 20 minutes for, for a real emergency response. And that's in rural Alberta, not adequate. That's, oh my gosh. I mean, if I'm, you almost, right now my, my brain is saying, don't put this into the universe. But I'm like, if I'm sorry, if I'm that nefarious type of person that, that is, is emboldened enough to kick indoors and conduct either B&Es or home invasions, depending on whether or not somebody's at home, if I know, I mean, I feel like this is a scene out of a movie where, where the bad guys start the stopwatch. If I know that I have 20 minutes from a 911 call to a potential police response, gosh, can somebody do a lot in 20 minutes? I, I hate to put it that way, but that's the reality. That's the reality. And and that's in Alberta Beach, which is still fairly close to Edmonton. We're still in a fairly populated area. If we go even more rural into perhaps more of the remote northern parts of the province, you actually don't have a 24-hour manned police service throughout all of Alberta right now. Uh, There are parts of the province that your police service is strictly on call, so you're waking a member up. If you have something happen in the middle of the night. Jeez. So what do people do? You you probably you're going to email me later, Angela, and you're going to say no thanks for any of those questions. But but what do what do people do? Because I'll tell you what I would do. I'd have three boxers. I might, might have a couple Rottweilers. I'd have bear spray at every door and, and I'd have a shotgun stored appropriately and safely uh, just in case ever, anybody ever got past the dogs. I mean, like, is that and people might call me paranoid, but I'm also not a fool. I mean, how do people live out there? I mean, I'm not, I, geez, I'm not trying to be the media guy that's telling everybody to live in fear. This isn't Fox News. I'm not trying to get everybody all nervous. But but how do you wrap your mind around that type of a reality? Well, first, it, it certainly is not a fearful place to live in rural Alberta. I, crime is still relatively low. And it's, a lot of it's property crime, not person crime. And I understand that people's property is important. But just for the clarification, it, it is mostly property and, and there are people that certainly do what you're referring to, um, Ryan, with the dogs and the guns and all of that. I will say a lot of rural property owners put a lot of investment into security systems. There's a lot of <laughs> cameras, there's uh, gates and fencing, but more importantly, it's the sense of community. So if somebody's doing something in rural Alberta, and you're a, a good neighbor and you see it, you're going to let them know. Yeah. So there's a lot of community spirit and community building that goes into addressing crime um, and just generally looking out for yourself and your neighbors. Mayor Heron, you're in you're in an interesting scenario where, I mean, St. Albert, a legitimate city, obviously, with with all the mm-hmm. amenities and all the services and an urban center. And, 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 and basically, it's it's just a road separating Edmonton and St. Albert, quite frankly, yet. St. Albert does not have a St. Albert police service. You are policed by the RCMP, right? So the implications of a provincial police force, the idea of a provincial police force, I I would imagine would have some pretty serious implications that I would imagine you've been considering. Do do you keep a pros and cons list? (laughs) 
I try, but the pros of RCMP heavily outweigh the cons. Mm. So we have, you know, we've looked. Red Deer did a, a really interesting study a few years ago on, on transitioning away from RCMP, and the, the price was um, cost prohibitive. And, and St. Albert's, um, it's interesting you have Tyler and I on the same call. St. Albert's probably one of the safest cities in all of Alberta. Mm-hmm. At one point, we were ranked the fifth in Canada. Right. Uh, so we've got 70,000 people, a detachment of 65 members. Uh, we have a great relationship with them. I, I get my priorities uh, well uh, observed. So we're there's no problem needing to be solved in St. Albert. So that's always the question I ask when when the province is, is, is going down these roads. What is the problem you're trying to solve? I get the rural crime. And that's why the Rural Municipality Association and some of our villages and towns need to be front and center in the conversation. For me, it would would be the loss of over a million dollars a year in, in a federal grant. So St. Albert gets 10% of our RCMP costs covered by the federal government. Some of the, the smaller, I think Tyler, you might be 70% or something. There's money from the federal government that is going to be lost. And that is why we want to see the Price Waterhouse Cooper report. Because Minister Badu is saying it will not cost municipalities any more money. And we can't figure out a single scenario how that looks. So that that's an issue for us. And, and we've been very uh, hesitant at AUMA to take a position until we see the report. Which that I can understand. Mean, I mean, yeah. I, and that's yeah. the responsible thing to do. Uh, as a talk show host, I can take a position, but why don't you continue? And the other really important thing was the fact that um, Premier Kenny, he's, when the Fair Deal report came out, and he said anything that really wasn't on their original platform would be put to, the, to, to Albertans in a referendum. So he's decided not to put provincial policing on this fall's uh, agenda on our municipal ballot. And I would call for him to honour his word that if he's going to go to a provincial police force, he needs to put that to Albertans. We have seen at AUMA dozens of letters from municipalities and mayors sign on to send to Minister Medu saying we are in support of keeping the RCMP. So I'm not seeing a, a high amount of Albertans wanting to move away from the RCMP. And even in the Fair Deal report, there was a list of recommendations and provincial police force was very low on that list. So so I, I, I really, I, can, I will continue to say this. I've said this many times. I call on Jason Kenney to put this to a referendum if he really wants to move forward and to release the report. Well, and and, and I mean, we're already, uh, you know, as as taxpayers spending a whole bunch on a referendum. So I don't know why you couldn't throw that on the ballot coming up on October 18th. Right. There, there's already a referendum. And it, it's, it's important mm-hmm. enough that we've got to ask people about equalization and daylight saving time. So I don't know why we couldn't put a provincial police force on there. I don't remember this party running on uh, a promise to bring in a provincial police force or to move around provincial pensions or anything like that. And I'm pretty sure that if it was another government formed by another party, that Jason Kenney would be screaming from the rooftops right now that he didn't go to the people in asking about this. I want to ask these three elected officials in just a moment why they think this is a thing right now, why they think the idea of a provincial police force is even being discussed in the province. But first, let me remind you that our friends at Park Power, Sarah's keeping an eye on the hashtag right now, Real Talk RJ on Twitter. It's a great way to comment on what you're hearing from the, these two mayors, deputy mayor as well, Park Power 
not only powering our hashtag, but of course, thousands and thousands of households across the province at parkpower.ca. You can understand more about their electricity, natural gas and Internet services. You can compare rates right there. And it's really easy to break up with your current electricity, natural gas or Internet provider. If Park Power is going to give you a better deal, they do all the dirty work for you. You don't even have to leave a note. You just walk away. You ghost your former power provider. That's right. You just ghost them. And if you use the promo code 2021-REALTALK, Park Power is going to give you $70 off your first bill. How cool is that? Also wanted to remind you that we know it's back to school. We've been talking about that. And of course, many parents... I saw one mom post a photo, her four kids wearing their backpacks, frowns on their faces, and she's on her pool floaty. I wouldn't blame that mama for having a glass of white wine. She's earned it. But some people are going to be heading back to school from the comfort of their own home this fall, online and on demand. It means they're going to learn whenever it fits their schedule via Athabasca University. They are Canada's online university. You can learn more about the admissions process, their programs and courses, and, and how AU works. They've established a reputation nationwide for being innovative leaders in online on-demand learning. You can check them out today at AthabascaU.ca. So this provincial police force has real talkers buzzing. And of course, in our live chat right now, many of you chiming in, we're hearing from many of you that that tune in to our show live from rural areas. And I appreciate that because it, it gives that perspective, right? It gives that perspective of what this means in your community. And some of you are talking about response times, right? You know, Mark, for example, says, let's keep the RCMP, but, but let's make sure that they actually do what they're paid to do. Mark would like to see the RCMP investigate white collar crime, more white collar crime. Maybe that means more officers, Mark. That probably means bigger expenditures. Uh, you know, what about Daniel, who's chiming and telling stories of former ranchers that are banding together? I don't want to say vigilante style. Why don't we say community watch style to prevent theft on their properties? Others of you saying, one of you shared the fact that your dad was an RCMP officer back in a rural community in the 1960s. Bruce says it was Tisdale, Saskatchewan. My dad used to sleep right by the phone. Hard to believe things haven't changed in the 60 years since then. So there's the matter of policing and then there's the matter of who administers it or what the badge or the patch on their shoulder looks like. It is, is it the OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police? Is it the RCMP like it is in, in the communities where we're talking to today? You know, Deputy Mayor Duncan out of Alberta Beach, Mayor Heron out of St. Albert, Mayor Gandam out of Wetaskiwin. Uh, why do we go to you first, Tyler? Why, why do you think this is even a thing? I mean, if you had to speculate, what would be your guess? I honestly don't know. They, there has been no indication that changing a police force is going to change the level of service. I don't know why this is a thing. It makes zero sense. And I'm not sure why uh, the money and the resources are being put into it to um, even investigate whether or not we should be changing to a provincial police service as opposed to the RCMP. And if there were concerns with what the RCMP are doing or they're not getting that level of service, especially in rural Alberta, then make those changes or address that before you start throwing out the old service and bringing something new in. Mayor Heron, what are your spidey senses yeah. telling you? My spidey senses are, are this is about trying to distance from, from Ottawa. It's it, The entire Fair Deal panel was about 
trying to establish our independence um, from the federal government. And that has been a theme throughout the UCP's um, governing time. And it probably started because of real crime and, and it, I, I welcome the conversation and I welcome looking for solutions, but I do not believe this is the solution. In my personal belief, and we've already said it, you need to invest in homelessness, you need to invest in mental health and definitely in addictions. Those things um, would, th that investment, and that is a provincial responsibility, much of it downloaded onto municipalities right now. And, and we're struggling with that. I can't tell you how we have, we have a hundred and some homeless people here, right here in St. Albert, but I don't get a single dollar from the province to operate any kind of shelter or, or home. Uh, and so they end up in Edmonton. And, you know, if it's my youth, they end up in a, in a lifestyle they're not used to. And that leads to the crime. So if you can, if you can do that preventative type um, investment, then we wouldn't need to be spending money on more policing. But that's just my opinion. Um, but I do believe this is about distancing ourselves from Ottawa. Yeah, and it's it's way sexier uh, if you're the premier. It's way sexier uh, as, as opposed to a, a photo op in front of a homeless shelter, right? Or a photo op in front of a supervised consumption site to have a photo op surrounded by uh, a, a bunch of new officers and a bunch of new uniforms with a bunch of new cop cars with the Alberta flag on them. That's way sexier. And I wonder how much of this is about optics. And I wonder about how much of it is banging the drum. The rural crime thing to me, again, Mayor, you were careful to say it, Mayor Heron. I'll say the same thing if it's not implied and obvious. This is just my opinion. But to me, uh, the idea of rural crime uh, and, and Deputy Mayor, I want to ask you about this right now that's not the prompter i mean that's that's just the op that's just the opening in the door it's just it's what you can use or what you can cite or what you can reference to pursue this it's not necessarily implying that it's going to do anything meaningful about the problem like can you make any sense of why the province might be talking about this well, I, I agree with your statement, Ryan, that in, uh, changing a police service isn't going to inherently fix the rural crime problem. And I think Kathy has a really good point that this is about separating ourselves from Ottawa. But I also think it's about showing rural Alberta that they have our back, that um, they're supporting us and that they're addressing an issue that rural Albertans have has identified as very, very important to them. And that is rural crime. But um, like we've already mentioned, we need to address the root causes of crime. But in rural Alberta, many of us would also say that we need to address the revolving door of criminals, which putting more boots on the ground, in quotation marks, I don't necessarily like that uh, phrase, um, doesn't address the issues that you can arrest somebody and they're back out on the street the same night or the next day. And so we also need to look at what happens after, you know, found the person who committed the crime and, and put them behind hmm. bars, I suppose. And where do we go from there? How do we prevent them from being a repeat offender? I wanted to ask the three of you of this in closing before we let you get back to your your, your day jobs, you know, like uh, actually looking after your, your communities. Uh, but we sure appreciate your availability and your insight here. How much, and, and let me ask you, as you have, to commit to a real answer here. Uh, and Deputy Mayor, I'm going to come right back to you first. The federal election campaign's underway, and there's really big picture platform stuff being announced, which is obvious. It's obvious why the strategy makes sense. 
But do you feel that the candidates in your riding from every party are adequately addressing and representing the concerns of your specific communities? Are, 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 are you encouraged or disheartened by what you see with regards to local campaigning? How much of it is based on local issues? Are we in reference to the federal election? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, in my 12 years of living in rural Alberta, I've never had a federal candidate knock on my door. Wow. On conservative, it's never been a close vote. So um, I'm not sure where my, my candidate would stand on anything because there's not a lot that comes out. Um, they're, they're feeling pretty secure in rural Alberta. You've never had a candidate knock on your door in 12 years. Not federally. I've yeah. had provincial. Oh, yeah. No, for sure provincial and for sure municipal. But I mean, that that still knocks my socks off. I mean, I know that ridings are big and they got a lot of ground to cover, but there's teams of volunteers. Mayor Gandam, how about you? What about in Wetaskiwin? Do, do, do the people of Wetaskiwin feel like, you know, I mean, you say, listen, we're the most dangerous city in Alberta right now. Are there any implications with regards to what you would expect from a member of parliament representing you? Absolutely. I've got a really good working relationship with my MP. So I, I feel like we're represented um, when they're not the government of, of the day. Uh, for him to be able to connect me with other deputy ministers um, and other ministries federally, uh, he definitely does look after the needs of the community. And and I really feel like he has, has an idea of what's going on in Wetaskiwin and genuinely cares. I'll get phone calls from him uh, quite often making sure that I've got what I need. And if there's something else he can help with, he's definitely on it. So we're pretty fortunate in that sense. Mayor Heron, your community is an interesting one. You had you had a, a pretty popular uh, member of parliament, uh, Brent Rathgaber, uh, who, who sort of stood up to Stephen Harper in a way, didn't he? I guess that's one way to put it. Uh, and, and then ran for re-election as an independent in 2015 and, and got, uh, I mean, I've talked to Brent about it and I don't think he'd mind me characterizing it as getting absolutely stomped uh, by a guy who used to work for him, by your, your current uh, MP yeah. right now, by Michael Cooper. And, and to my, in my mind, I kind of went, wow. Like if Rathgaber can't win in St. Albert as an independent, I don't know if, and then Jody Wilson-Raybould proved me wrong that you can win as an independent and it is possible, but St. Albert, I think, spoke loud and clear that election that that was conservative country, federally speaking. Does that translate into, I mean, do, do, do you perceive it? Do you still see the honest efforts from candidates? Do you see people, you know, I mean, with their, you know, pounding and knocking on the doors and, and getting that material out there? Or is, is it the same sort of a thing that Deputy Mayor described? You know, I, I I love Brent. I voted for Brent, and I went to I went to the party at that night, and it was so sad. I know he was a, he was a great conservative MP, and he, he was. stood for values, and and that just highlights what party politics is. It it's a machine, and and people vote for parties, and they vote strategically instead of um, for their local representative, and and that's why I don't ever want to enter into that realm because I don't, I like the, the nonpartisanship of municipal politics. Uh, Michael Cooper is a, a, a good MP. He's made some decisions that Alberta or St. Albert doesn't agree with, but he, he's present. He's in my Rotary Club, so I see him quite frequently. He's easily accessible. And, and I don't see a race in Alberta. I, he will probably, <laughs> he'll, he'll overwhelmingly oh, win yeah. our writing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, and, um, 
Yeah, I'll take uh, I'll, uh, well, whatever. I'll say it after you're gone so I don't have to make you uncomfortable in the chair on whether or not I think he's a good MP, but that doesn't matter to anybody here. That's not what you're here to talk <laughs> about. It's not why you signed up to come on Real Talk, so I'll save you from that discomfort. Hey, listen, the three of you, it's been great to have you here. I appreciate perspectives. I know we threw a lot at you. I appreciate you taking all the questions. want to wish you well uh, in your future endeavors, and of course, we'll look forward to speaking with you again on the show. That's the Deputy Mayor out of Alberta Beach, Angela Duncan, who's the interim president of the AUMA, the mayor of St. Albert, Kathy Heron, and the mayor of Wetasco and Tyler Gandam all have been great friends of Real Talk. Uh, appreciate your candor and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you again. Thanks, Ryan. It's really good to have the municipal realm highlighted on your show. So yeah. thanks. Hey, you got it. It's important to us because we know it's important to our audience. That Brent Rathgaber thing, that, that was wild. Brent Rathgaber was very popular in St. Albert. And uh, yeah, he pushed back. I mean, you push back against Stephen Harper, right? That's what's going to happen. Uh, keep in mind, that's also the election, though, that Stephen Harper lost. Right. That's the election that Justin Trudeau won. So that was kind of an interesting one. And, and I know that, uh, you know, there's no love lost between myself and Michael Cooper. Uh, I, I don't think Michael Cooper is a good MP. And quite frankly, I don't think Michael Cooper is a good person. And I think that uh, the city of St. Albert has shown some leadership in, in things like off the top of my head. I didn't expect to have this conversation, so I don't have a long bullet uh, form list of notes in front of me on what I can reference. But, uh, you know, conversion therapy might be one example uh, where I might point to the wishes of the people of St. Albert municipally. Uh, an example of like pulling business licenses and invoking municipal bylaws and policy and pulling those levers to use a phrase that we heard earlier in the show, pulling levers to address something in a community like conversion therapy and then to see how the member of parliament votes in a context like that. And, and that's just one example off the top of my head. But I digress. St. Albert would love to hear from you. Talk at Ryan to give you a sense of, of how St. Albert's voted, though. I mean, it's been an absolute landslide. So in 2015, Cooper runs for the conservatives. Uh, this is after Rathgaber had won before, right? He was the incumbent, but keep in mind, he was sitting as an independent. He was running as an independent. So Cooper takes uh, 27,000 votes, 26,783 for 45%. Uh, Beatrice Getuba, the liberal candidate, finishes second with half of Cooper's votes, with 22% of the vote. And then Brent Rathgaber gets smacked by the people of St. Albert, who he had represented, in my mind, admirably, with 11,600 votes for just under 20%, for just over 19% of that vote. So taken down. In 2019, St. Albert again goes back to Michael Cooper with 39,500 votes. He basically takes everything that Rathgaber got the election before for 61% of the vote. Uh, Greg Springgate ran for the liberals taking 12,000 votes for just under 20 percent so st albert is an is, is a very safe riding for the conservatives um and and you could probably talk uh, you could tell stories from across the prairies of safe ridings in so many ways as you can look across canada and talk about safe ridings in other jurisdictions for other political parties uh, where it's somewhat remarkable if, if the conservatives take seats in, in in vancouver or if the new democrats are able to steal seats in certain ridings in toronto and then of course the maritimes are always at play right who's running in the maritimes you're nodding i mean is this one you keep paying attention this was this was i don't mean to get us too into the weeds but the conservative leadership race when people were talking sam about peter mckay's candidacy a lot of people said hey listen this is a real inroad into atlantic canada 
uh, it didn't seem to resonate. Obviously, McKay didn't win the leadership race, but 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 the Maritimes seemed to always kind of be at play to a certain degree. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. And it's also, I mean, you know, one of the things that everybody remembers is like on on Election Day, the Maritimes go first. They set the tone. They kind of like tell Canada sort of what direction we're going in because the results come in first. But it's it's you know, I, I mean, I think conventional wisdom says the Maritimes have been a bit of a liberal stronghold. But I, look at what just happened in Nova Scotia. Totally. They just flipped. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Do you do you describe yourself? Was, are you in? Are you in like? Uh, and, and this could go either way, municipally, provincially, and federally. Are you in like a safe riding, or do you see races in your riding? Uh, and for federal, I think it'll be really interesting. It, I, there's there's a there's a variety. Do you have a uh, conservative or liberal MP, or you have you might have a? I have conservative. You have a conservative MP. Yeah, but uh, w- we'll see. Uh, <laughs> municipally, the incumbent is Andrew Knack, uh, but he'll win. Yeah, I know that a lot of people say that incumbents always win. I'm just looking at kind of what's happening in the riding. There's someone else coming up. Who's the Who's the other person? Oh, the name. Oh, okay, I'm putting you on the spot. That's yeah. not fair. You no, you've got a million things on your brain. That wasn't fair to me. Can I predict? I would I would bet my house that Andrew Knack will win again. Like he'll he'll it'll be an absolute landslide. There's there's uh, I, I don't mean this to say this um, in 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 a way that would dishearten anyone's efforts because it's kind of funny. I I'll come on the show and I'll be like, politics are brutal. Politics are terrible. Mm. There's no decency in politics and i'm like we need better people to run in politics you should run and then someone will say no you should run i'll say not a chance and i recognize and i'm not trying to send mixed messages even though i am sending i I think that's i am sending mixed messages what i'm saying is perhaps i'm not as strong and courageous as i might portray myself to be that's the truth i don't want to put my family through it i don't want to put myself Mm. through it there's no way then people talk about, oh, these politicians making these big salaries. Here's an unpopular opinion. Politicians don't make enough considering the bullshit they deal with, considering the polls on their time. Consider Politicians can't just book off. I mean, unless you're the premier or the health minister in Alberta, you can't just book off for two weeks in the middle of crisis. Most of them can't. You have obligations everywhere, and it's a really, really tough job. But I think that the incumbent Andrew Nax is going to sweep. You know, keep in mind, a lot of people thought Andrew Nax should run for mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're, I think people were surprised that he did not. I think he didn't because he knew he would lose. He's like, if you're Andrew Nax, you're sitting there going, "Who's going to run?" And keep in mind, and, I, and I'll recognize we're talking really local here right now with apologies to the rest of our audience across Canada, but, but just this is where we live in the city of Edmonton right now. You know, you've got a former federal minister uh, who's a former Edmonton city councilor, Amarjeet Sohi, who's running and who's probably going to win. Uh, you have several candidates who are running strong campaigns. Uh, you know, Michael Oshry, Kim Chrishell, um, Cheryl Watson. Um, you've got Mike Nickel, who is a, a very polarizing candidate. Um you know, and uh, it's sort of up for grabs there. I think that there were probably conversations, backroom conversations, when the incumbent, when Mayor Don Iveson said, I'm not going to run again. There were probably conversations, okay, who is going to run? Yeah. And I think that there were probably some reality checks for some people that said, if this person runs, I'm not running. And if, if this person's not running, I will run. And I suspect that Andrew Knack was probably more encouraged or, or probably more enticed, let me say, by the opportunity to continue to sit on council than to lose a mayoral race to raise four or five hundred thousand uh, dollars and then to lose. And then you're out of a job. Knack wanted to be a city councilor for 
years. If you talk to that guy, he wanted to be a counselor for years before he got the job. So I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and I'm not surprised that, that he ran to seek reelection. There are federal writings interesting because it swaps back and forth. Conservative, liberal, conservative, li- literally back, forth, back, forth. So I think that's great for democracy. Absolutely. I think it's good. And so I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, I'm still waiting for the candidates. I, we've had our new Democrat candidate knock on our door. She said, can I count on your support? I said, you can count on my encouragement. She said, can I put a sign on your lawn? I said, you know, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and she laughed and I said, but hey, I'm proud of you for getting involved in politics and I'm still waiting for the others to show up and I look forward to seeing him. You know, the, the former member of parliament, Randy Boissonneau is running again. And the oh, we're current, in the same, we're in we're the same riding. So the go. current, all three of us are in the all same three of us are, <laughs> Sam, you and I are in the same riding. Yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Gosh, we need to we need to we need to hire somebody from the suburbs. All these urban snobs running this program. We need to have somebody from the suburbs that can come in here and tell us what it's like. That's why we book guests. It's why yeah, that is why we book guests. I I appreciate the reminder. Hey, speaking of St. Albert, I'm going to be heading out there uh, tomorrow. I'm excited because I'm going to be picking up this uh, new ride. We're going to get behind the wheel of one of these big Dodge Rams because uh, our family is heading out on vacation. I said to Brad, he's the GM at St. Albert Dodge. I said, buddy, I need more room. I need more space. And he, the smile hits his face and he's like, that's what we're in the business of doing, buddy, is meeting people's needs. I said, what do you have right now? What do you have available? He goes, well, let me check our inventory. He goes, and I'll check the inventory at Sherwood Dodge as well, because that's what they do. The same ownership group means double the choice for you. And at a time right now where the truth is, selection's pretty low. When it comes to trucks, you know this if you've been truck shopping, St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge is your best bet to find what you need. Plus, of course, the entire Jeep lineup with great specials right now. They need to clear room, so they're blowing out brand new 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokees. Get in touch with them online via the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. The team at Eden Landscaping is hard at work wrapping up their summer projects. Uh, There's a great opportunity right now for you to get first in line to work with Eden through the fall and the winter designing your dream space so you can break ground next spring whether it's a gazebo or a new patio or decorative stonework maybe a water feature or an outdoor kitchen planter boxes I could go on because I've spent a lot of time on their website landscapeedmonton.ca I've seen what they do you can too again link to them if you go to the sponsors tab on our website they're all right there a shout out to Eden Landscaping this morning the team at Kubi Energy they present positive reflections there's one coming up we've received I haven't shared it with the two of you because I, I, I'm so excited to see your faces when we read it we'll be reading it a week so not, not this coming Monday but the next Monday no the next Tuesday after Labor Day when we're back Bit of a break here for the team. The next Tuesday after Labor Day, Positive Reflections by Kubi Energy. They're proudly headquartered in Edmonton and Kamloops. You know the drill. They're helping people achieve their sustainable energy goals. And they're doing it in a way that saves you money because their team has figured out the most efficient way, including some of these subsidies, some of the incentives, you know, stuff that's tough to keep an eye on yourself. That's their business at kubienergy.ca. Team at Grand Dog Essentials reached out to me yesterday and they said, Jespo, there's a new blog post up. I said, I'll tell everybody about it at granddog.ca. Look at this boxer puppy. Is there a dog that's any better looking than a boxer? Sarah, Sam, no, we all agree. Perfect. Boxers, the best looking dogs out there. If you go to granddog.ca, you can see Diesel's journey to raw dog food, how raw food helped Diesel find digestive health. If you use the promo code REALTALK, 
at granddog.ca. They'll take 10% off your first order. They deliver to your door in Calgary, in Edmonton, and across central Alberta. Hey, before we get to, you know, the weekly tradition that is expressing ourselves via trash talk, I also want to remind you about our question of the week. We're going to keep this open over the weekend and into next week because we really, really want to know how you're feeling about this upcoming federal election. It's going to help us shape some of our editorial content. It's going to provide some insight into where this audience is at, both the decideds and the undecideds. So it's simple. Please consider this my call to action at ryanjesperson.com. Right at the top of the page, you click on question of the week, and there you'll see it presented by our official research and strategy partners at Y stations. We want your predictions for the outcome, your reaction to the writ drop. In other words, was there justification to call this thing in the first place? And of course, your voting intention. That's right. We're asking rude questions about who you're going to vote for and why. You don't have to sign your name to it. That's a good part. And of course, we'll be presenting some of the highlights of that. And our Patreon supporters will receive the top line report ahead of the election, which is super cool, um, showing where hundreds and hundreds uh, of other real talkers are at. We encourage you to do that over the next number of days. Now, at the end of every broadcast week, our friends at Local Waste, you can check out what they do at localwaste.ca, operating across the prairies, handling big and small businesses, waste and recycling management requirements, building relationships, demonstrating integrity every step of the way. Well, they wanted an opportunity for real talkers to be able to blow off a little steam to head out into the, the the end of your week, to head into the weekend with that feeling, the feeling that comes with saying what you've always wanted to say. So we open up our email inbox. You respond in a big way, and uh, that means that we present a little something called Trash Talk! All right, this is a public service announcement from Lindsay to all you fellas using online dating apps. Uh, keep your shirts on! Shirtless shots are not necessary. Fires ain't appealing, it ain't sexy, it makes me swipe left. That's like the worst swiping left, she says. And don't take pictures in bed. This is gross. I don't want to see your dirty sheets and your bathroom your bathroom when you take a photo in the bathroom mirror you're implying you don't have friends or family who have taken photos of you and that is sad do not i repeat do not use images where you've scribbled out people you're in the photo with that is so tacky and please consider limiting your big fishing catch and your quadding that's lame Lindsay, that's where we disagree. She says, know that your images say a lot about you. It shows your lack of good judgment, your lack of taste, and your lack of laundry. I promise I will not be swiping right. That from Lindsay. What about this one from Dawn, who says, let me get this straight. We buy bags to turn around and recycle them. I'm talking about these blue bags that are used for recycling. Like they're, you know, garbage bags, except for cardboard and plastic wrappers. It just feels like adding insult to injury. We're told to sort and separate our recyclables. Oh yeah, don't worry, they'll get new life after you stuff them into this blue sack. And don't worry about climate change. You're doing your part by putting your soup can and your newspaper into the blue plastic bag. Right. This is kind of hitting me personally. I feel like Don is screaming at me personally. I'm yelling the words to myself. Don says plastic bags don't biodegrade ever. 
They degrade into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces of plastic into microplastics that show up in our land and water. My recycling is going straight into the garbage bin. That from Don. I feel like I can't go any further right now. I feel like Don put me on the spot. I feel like I'm responsible for microplastics being swallowed by baby turtles in Costa Rica right now. This one from Cheryl, who says the Alberta government is refusing to acknowledge and respect the new national holiday, the new day of truth and reconciliation, formerly Orange Shirt Day on September 30th. Just when I think I couldn't be more embarrassed to live here, Jason Kenny finds a new low. My husband and I have had a number of conversations over the last year with our girls about the possibility of moving and what that would look like for our family. Our own daughter is filling out university application forms, all of them, every single one, outside of Alberta. She's a top student. She just completed a summer research internship at the U of A. She has no desire to study here where education does not appear to be valued. By the time our other two daughters have to decide where to study after high school, we hope to have moved to another province Cheryl, she says we've run out of patience for the time it may take even beyond the next provincial election to fix the issues created here. We can move on, and that's what we intend to do. Cheryl says, thank you, Alberta, for 20 years. Sorry we have to break up. Cheryl, please don't go. We need the good ones to stay. Jess says, I'm so angry. I'm tearing my hair out trying to figure out why we're okay with sending kids to school with no COVID safety measures. Ooh, this provincial government wouldn't stand for their leaders hiding his cases skyrocket. Uh huh. No other Canadians, says Jess, would be cool with their province driving away doctors and nurses during a pandemic, or with their chief medical officer of health saying we need to start living with COVID a few months before kids can be vaccinated. Says Jess, in all caps, why are we okay with this? Convince me we're not exceptional in terrible ways because I'm not hearing or seeing that Alberta actually gives a shit and I have no idea why. That from Jess. How about this from Tyler, the tired nurse, who says we protected the most vulnerable for 18 months, the immunocompromised, the elderly, those at risk. Now who cares about 650,000 kids? The premier's dereliction of duties have placed my nine-year-old's health and well-being at risk. Shame on the school divisions that without masks mandates political asshattery abounds that from tyler the tired nurse his email was kind of on the and then i saw asshattery and i said you know that's a great word tyler the tired nurse and this from jeremy Jeremy says, I'm beyond fed up with the hypocrisy of this world. You know, we talk about how awesome we are, how innovative we can be. We got billionaires engaging in metaphorical sword fights, trying to get to space first while people starve. A generation ago, we'd vaccinate people without hesitation. Now people lose their shit when asked to save a life. People of faith preach tolerance and love while continuing to discriminate, persecute, and openly hate while at the same time gaslighting those same groups by accusing them of violating their religious freedoms. We talk about safety cultures and workplaces yet willingly destroy laws that keep people safe at work and now we're contending with a Seinfeld-esque election that keeps us nothing but distracted. Jeremy wonders, when do we all finally realize that at one point or another, all of our shit stinks and get our heads out of our asses and start giving a damn about each other? We want to save a world but we don't want it to change because it's uncomfortable but let's get real we only grow when we're forced to be uncomfortable. And then he signs off Kindest regards, Jeremy. 
Well, our kindest regards to you, Real Talkers. As mentioned, we're taking some wellness days. This is our last day until the Tuesday after Labor Day. In the meantime, check out our YouTube archive. Check out our podcast. Catch up on shows you may have missed. And of course, we'll be active to a certain degree on social media. Give us a follow at Real Talk RJ. Send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com and keep on keeping it real. We'll talk to you when we talk to you. One love. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.